I think it's no surprise that on this podcast, I love to talk to leaders about their learning curves, about when they move into new positions, what they struggle with, what they're focused on for the next year. And this is no different. This interview with Ron Nunziato, he's the policy and regulatory affairs person, senior director at Healthcare Council of Illinois. Some fun things, you know, we talked about what it's like going from the care side of things over to the advocacy side. We talked about what it was like being in charge and working in a facility where the very first COVID case was confirmed in the Chicago area at his previous position. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit Experience.Care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today. Hello and welcome back to LTC Heroes Live by Experience Care. My name is Peter Murphy-Lewis. I'm your host. I'm excited today because I'm talking to the Senior Director of Policy and Regulatory Affairs at Health Care Council of Illinois. This is Ron Nunziato. Ron, did I get your last name right? You did. Thank you. Very well. Ron, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, Ron, I don't get to speak to someone who spent all of their career in long-term care from the Chicago area, then moves into advocacy. But before we get into your current role, will you take me back and tell me how you got into long-term care and feel free to get into the details as much as you like? Oh, it's a, it can be a story. So I was a provider and operator for 30 years, uh, 29 to be exact, before I moved over to the Healthcare Council of Illinois. And I've always had an affinity for senior citizens probably stems from my grandmothers. I had two grandmothers, actually I had three. My great-grandmother was alive and also in a nursing home. The two of them were in nursing homes toward the end of their lives. I always went to visit them with the feeling that this was their home and wanting to make sure that they lived the best life that they could live and kind of move that forward into a career path I started out life in the healthcare field as a medical technologist. I moved to a senior service organization called Little Brothers, Friends of the Elderly, and things just kind of moved forward uh, to the nursing home side, again, some 29 years ago. And I can see going over your resume at the leadership level, you've done COO work, operation, and then also CEO. Can you take me back when you were first taking on those new leadership roles? What was your biggest learning curve? And then just so you know where I'm going to go with it, I'm ask you, how did you learn? Did you call peers? Did you get your nose in the books? Did you start observing? I think probably the biggest lesson that I learned as a CEO is that the CEO needs to be present. They need to be there. They need to show support for their staff. It's almost like a cheerleading type job with a whole lot of other responsibilities to the back end, but on the front end of working with staff and the facilities that you operate, people need to feel like leadership is listening to them and are part of them. And I will say when I left extended care, they gave me a plaque, which reads, always leading by example. And it's probably, it touched me that they recognized that when I left, but it's one of the lessons that I learned early on in a management role, not even as a CEO, but in a management role that you don't necessarily want to ask staff to do things you wouldn't do yourself. 
And that one of the things that I experienced while we were dealing with the COVID outbreak is me actually being on the floors working alongside of staff and cleaning or serving trays or helping residents get up, down. It really resonated with staff that I was there, not just expecting them to do a job in this COVID environment, but that I was actually there with them doing it. It's the process of management, I think, has developed over a long period of time for me. And mostly, and what I try and mentor younger people that are looking to get to management is think about all the great bosses you've ever had and think about all the horrible decisions bosses have made for you or with you and start moving those forward. Take those pieces that you really liked from a boss you had and implement them and think about them and figure out how you can develop those. And the ones that you didn't like, figure out why they did it why they made a certain decision and see how you can avoid those types of traps, so to speak, when you're managing people. I have two follow-up questions on that. One is when you're talking about, you know, kind of great leaders as you encouraged us to think about our great bosses, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? You had a great mentor. And then the second question is, any bad advice that you were given back when you were starting to become a leader that you're like, man, I would never give this to someone. And if there's anyone young out there, don't do this. Yeah, on both sides. I've had some great mentors as supervisors and managers that I believe the reason that I felt that they were great leaders were that they encouraged and involved staff in the decision-making process and explaining how decisions were made or and sometimes why decisions were made. Conversely, that's exactly the same problem with the bad managers or bad advice where people would just tell you, you're the CEO of the company, make the decision. Don't explain yourself. Don't give them reasons as to why you're doing this a certain way. Just tell them this is the way it has to get done. And I don't think that brings people forward in a process of trying to work at one goal, and in this goal, to take care of people, I don't think that process works. I think you have to bring people along, even if it's not a necessarily a positive a change that has to be made or something that uh, staff are going to really be enthusiastic about. If you still explain why you got to this place or why you made this decision or how it came about, I think people are more apt to move forward with you than sit on the sidelines and gripe about it. They've got to be part of the process. I'm going to ask you kind of as a segue into explaining what Healthcare Council of Illinois is, who you serve, what your purpose is, just so you know where I'm going to go with it. After you explain that, I'm going to ask you what are the skill set or the experiences that you had at your previous position at Extended Care Clinical that helped you, that set you up for success for your current role? Well, it's only been three months <laughs> that I've been in the current role. So I think success is a little bit longer in a barometer of that. But Healthcare Council of Illinois has more than 50% of the nursing homes in Illinois are members of our association. We are the largest association. There are a couple other associations in Illinois. We also have the largest 
Medicaid population that our members serve, probably over 60 to 70% of the Medicaid recipients in nursing homes are members of the council. And what we do in a lot of different ways are work with the state governments of public health or the Department of HFS and work on advocating for fair regulations or fair reimbursements is probably the two largest pieces of our pie to make sure that nursing homes are represented at the table. Again, it's hard with two or three other associations, but one voice, so to speak, that you don't have 700 nursing homes advocating for different policies or different regulations that we kind of move at it from our association and try and coalesce and work collaboratively with the departments that interface with our facilities most often. Your question about what brought me forward or positioned me best for this role, I think it's very unique. I will say I believe that I'm the first person in HCCI's history or its predecessing organization, the Illinois Council on Long-Term Care, for a long time that had someone that walked the walk for a number of years. So it's no longer a group of people that are just advocating, but have never really worked in a facility or never really faced the challenges of the regulatory process that these facilities face. I have 29 years of history of working in this environment day in and day out in various roles from the admission process to marketing, to corporate compliance, to administration, and then to the CEO role. So I believe it positioned me well for myself to move this forward in a bigger, expansive way instead of advocating for the group of facilities that extended care operated, but to advocate for 50% or more of the nursing homes in Illinois, that the impact could be much larger. From my notes that I see that you had in the first chat with my co-host, Victoria, I see that you worked in the facility that had the first COVID case. Is that more or less accurate? Oh, yes, that is my distinction. One of extended care facilities was the first facility in Illinois with the COVID outbreak. It happened on Friday, March 13th. It was about three weeks after, what was the name of that Washington facility? I remember, I don't remember the name either. Kirkland. So it was about three weeks after that, we had an outbreak and it was the first one. And it was an extremely daunting task to be the first one in Illinois. We had people from CMS and CDC, the Department of Public Health in Illinois. We had people from the county, Department of Public Health, all kind of descending upon the facility to figure out how we process this. So there was an incredible learning curve by all of us in that process and just trying to figure out how to manage day to day and have as less impact as it could on the residents and the staff of that facility. I'm always interested in what leaders learn from going through challenging moments. So my follow-up is, what did you learn about yourself that you weren't as aware of maybe in 2019 or 2018, whether it be the way you handle stress 
or the way you communicate or the way you lead, or maybe how critical exercise came for you at that point. Anything that you're looking back, like I learned this and I'll make sure that I continue to do this now that I'm aware of it. Okay, confession time. Yes, I host the LTC Heroes podcast, and hopefully you know that by now, but I can't take all the credit. Jason Long, the CEO of Experience Care, told me two years ago that when we started this show, that this new audio platform had to create value for everyone, whether you're a client of Experience Care EHR or not. Then he encouraged me to become a CNA to really help LTC Heroes resonate with caregivers and leaders. And between you and me, he really knew what he was talking about. LTC Heroes has been invited to almost 10 conventions in 2022 to finally shine a light on what leaders like you have been doing for decades. It's that sort of knowledge of the industry that really makes me appreciate Experience Care, which has developed a customizable and intuitive EHR that makes clinical financial and billing processes more efficient and accurate. It transforms workflows into something that makes sense so you can focus on what really matters, caring for your residents. The software is used by ALFs, SNFs, CCRCs, big and small facilities alike. Countless users have reached out and shared with me that it really is effective in helping them improve outcomes. I can honestly say that I know my grandparents would be proud to learn that I work at a place like at Experience Care. And I just wanted to take the time to thank Experience Care for sponsoring this podcast. Check out their latest products at www.experience.care. Probably the largest, biggest lesson that I learned was that the government offices that I mentioned all are not necessarily working in a collaborative way, that each day there was a different message from a different body. And it's one of the things I shared with all of them at our exit a week later when they left the facility. They asked if what lessons could I give them And I said, all of you need to work more collaboratively to speak with one voice. And it's still two and a half years later, not really happening. It's something that I continue moving forward as whenever asked, when I'm on stakeholder calls with the state or uh, CMS or CDC, it's one of the things that I bring up consistently is that there should be one message We have now another COVID vaccine. Some people are calling it a booster. It's really a little bit different than a booster. And so it originally came out from CDC around Labor Day that this is now what's considered up to date. However, CMS didn't consider that in Labor Day up to date. They took about a month before they considered it up to date. The state of Illinois took a little bit longer to come up with what up-to-date would mean. And that presents an incredible challenge when you're on the front line trying to do the best you can and trying to ensure the safety of your residents and your staff when you're hearing different messages and when the messages aren't always as consistent as they should be, it presents an incredible challenge of management and leadership uh, for these facilities very difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't been in that role, one during COVID, nor at your role at leadership, but also with advocacy to hear that the good description is resonates with truth, but not certain that I'd lived through it. Ron, question for you in relation to kind of moving from more human side of care over to the advocacy side. 
I know it's rather recent, three, four, five months. Is there anything that you miss? You're like, oh, I really miss talking to X person or walking the halls on Tuesdays. I do. I miss going to the facilities. So extended care had at various times about 22 facilities. And I always made it a calendar of that I would go out to facilities at least twice a month and spend some time in a couple of buildings, even if it's just walking the halls and saying hello to residents and chatting with staff. And just so that they, as I said in the beginning, the CEO's role is to be present. And when you don't see the CEO, it's hard for staff to see that presence that you're there. It's almost like the man behind the curtain. So I always made it a priority for me to be in the facilities at least twice a month. And I do miss going to those facilities. I miss the residents. I miss the staff work in these facilities. The work that the facility staff do, whether it's extended care or otherwise, it's almost a calling in this environment to spend time and work and know that you're making a difference in people's lives. And we need to encourage that. And you need to encourage it by being present. The difference is, I tell this story all the time. People ask me, like my peers now in the advocacy world or other agencies, will ask me like, so is it really different? And I say, it's really different because when I would walk in a room, a conference room for a meeting as the CEO, I sat at the head of the table. And now as an advocate and as someone who's working for an association, you have legislators, they're going to sit at the head of the table. You have Department of Public Health or HFS, the Medicaid people, they're going to be uh, sitting at the head of the table. And then it goes further to, I'll have my agenda points of what I want to talk about at a meeting. And in this role, I don't always get to set the agenda. But as the CEO, I was always able to set the agenda and make sure we covered what I wanted to cover and needed to cover. And so that mindset of walking into a meeting and kind of pulling myself back that this isn't my meeting, I'm not in charge here, was very difficult and very different for me. I would guess it would be hard to change shoes or change hats in that role. And yes. I guess it wouldn't be a hit to the ego. It's more about, I'm going to take a role of probably 95% listening. While you might've been a CEO who listened beforehand, now you're in a position you have to listen. Ron, sure. question for you about 2023. Either do you have any goals that you can share from your area of policy and regulatory affairs? Or maybe not a goal that you want to share, but something you're really excited about in your new job. My chief goal is to try and develop more collaborative relationships with the state stakeholders. Sometimes, most especially public health, the regulatory arm of the state, most of the time, it, there's a tug and pull in that relationship. I think all of our providers, as well as myself, understand the role of the regulatory process. And I understand that they have a job to do, and it's to regulate the nursing home or homes. But I don't necessarily believe that it has to be 
in conflict with working collaboratively. Because I think and I believe that if we worked collaboratively, we could affect bigger changes and reach the goal that we're all trying to reach in providing better resident care and really making a difference in the lives of the people that these facilities care for. Oftentimes, as I said, the tug and pull gets in the way of that. And I'm hopeful that having the experience I've had in the 29 years of dealing with either HFS or public health, that people will see me as someone who has walked the walk and has talked the talk, can now help break down those barriers of what it means to a facility when they do something like this, or when they come in to look at a complaint investigation and it kind of goes off into its own direction. So I'm hopeful that experience will bring this all forward. And that's my goal for this 2023 is to really work at and strive toward understanding the department's challenges, whether again, it's public health or HFS, the Medicaid system, or it's them understanding our perspective from the provider's perspective. And I think that's where a lot of the challenges lie. I don't necessarily know when the regulatory process is moving forward, if there's a clear understanding of what that change might mean to a facility. For instance, now we are in incredible workforce development issues in healthcare in general, hospitals, you know, you're in the hospital or nursing homes or other clinics, everyone's looking for employees. They have difficulties hiring people. And long-term care has always had difficulties hiring people because of the environment that we work in. And some people just aren't into that type of care. I always say long-term care is not as sexy as the hospital side is, but long-term care provides a lot of different opportunities. Like if you're a nurse on the floor in a hospital, you're going to take care of a patient for three, four, maybe five days, and they're going to go and you're never going to see that person again. And then there's going to be another person. In long-term care, you have the real opportunity to create a relationship with this person that likely might be there. Could be short-term rehab, but it could be an extended stay there and have a real relationship with that resident. So I don't know that everyone sees both sides of the equation on the regulatory process and what it means to the facilities. But just today, the American Healthcare Association, which is the National Association for Nursing Homes, came out with their figures that to bring nursing homes up to par with staffing levels, that either A, the federal government is starting to kick around a proposal for federal legislation around staffing ratios, or even in some states that have them, like Illinois, nursing homes are short about 191,000 employees of nurses and CNAs primarily. And that's a huge task before us. And we need to make sure that our stakeholders, whether they're state people or legislators, or even the smaller local governments understand 
that workforce development for healthcare has got to be a priority in 2023 for this to turn around in all areas. I was just listening to the radio this morning and someone was telling me that, or somebody was talking on the radio about scheduling a knee replacement surgery, which he had been told in last year that he was going to need it this year. And he called in September for this knee replacement and the appointment he got was for March of 2023. You know, when he said he asked, like, why is this so long? Well, we only have so many nurses to be able to do these operating rooms and the physicians can only do so many surgeries. And that's the extent to which how this workforce development problem is affecting real healthcare. I've been going to a lot of conventions across the country in the last 12 months. And, you know, I hear devastating stories, just like what you shared at every different, at every place, whether it be agency or whether it be lack of reimbursements to be able to get to a fair wage, just a struggle. It's been happening, obviously, for longer than two or three years. This is not new. Ron, as we start to wrap up, I want to thank you for joining LTC Heroes. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you would like to add, whether it be about your work or the association or something in long-term care? No, I can't really think of anything. Well, once again, I appreciate your time. It's been a joy. And hopefully one of these times I'll get to uh, come up to Chicago and meet you and meet your dog's Jingles. And what's the other dog's name? Tessa. Thank you so much, Ron. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit Experience.Care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.